Welcome to episode 13 of Lost in Translation with Bobby Martin. I'm Sam Perkins. Today we are joined by a really, really, really remarkable guy. Greg Moulton is a uh, a uh, outreach coordinator and treatment advocate over at Mayflower Recovery right here in Wilmington, uh, right in the same town that we are recording in at our WCTV studios. Um, so I don't want to tell too much of Greg's story. I knew Greg. I first encountered Greg when he was a junior in high school, mm-hmm. and I was just figuring out what I was going to do in my life. I was in my just entering my mid twenties, uh, kind of on the early to mid twenties. Uh, had uh, flamed out of of, of uh, playing baseball and was trying to pick up the pieces of my life. And I was working at a high school, and uh, Greg was a student. He was a really talented basketball player. And uh, over the years, kind of connected on social media years later and followed uh, him. And he has a really remarkable story of, uh, of recovery from addiction and now advocacy. He's a dad. He does really great work. Um, just opened up a, a sober living house, which is really remarkable. Um, and uh, we're just really happy to have Greg here today. Thanks for joining us, Greg. Thank you. Appreciate you Thank you. That was awesome. That was a great intro. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. Come on. Uh, you just you just had a baby, right? Set, I did. Two. I did. His name's Tatum as well. I had to bring that up. You know, he's uh, seven yeah, weeks old. Me. I'm a diehard Boston Celtics fan. Yes, that's me. I'm a Sixers fan. Man. <laughs> oh man. Should have named him Julius. I'm gonna move over here. I'm gonna move over. All right, Doctor J has <laughs> my respect. He has my respect. Maybe Moses. Trust me. I don't know. Just something. Like yep. Yep. UMass yep. Amherst finest, Doctor J, right there. Yeah. So we can. We can we can lay a little yep. a little small claim to him as well. My man. <laughs> so Greg, you know I, it, your, your story is so powerful that it's hard for me to, to try and lead into it. Um, you know I met you. You were sixteen, seventeen, somewhere yeah. around there. Yep. Um, you know he was Greg was a really really hard nosed, just like tough uh, guard on Arlington High School basketball team, mm-hmm. starring there. He was definitely a kid that was he. he Went on to, to play a bit in college, but I mean, he was a kid that was clearly good enough to play at some level of college ball. Um, just real, I went to a couple of those games. He was just mm-hmm. tough, didn't shy away from getting into the paint. As no, a, as a guard. never. Uh, and you know, I I really didn't learn about your story until I think you were on the road to recovery. Is when I started. You know, maybe that's at that point was when we kind of connected, or just I wasn't aware of it. Um, but when you were when you were sixteen, seventeen in high school, you know, what, just where were you at in life, and, and what would you say about about your journey? You know, I think a lot of people don't understand how someone falls into addiction. Yeah, I remember we talked before, like, kind of, you know, what's the standard like story on how someone kind of falls into that or ends up, you know, being an addict or an alcoholic, and you know, from a young age, I was kind of always on, uh, to be honest, I was on some kind of substance, like at all times, mm-hmm. you know, whether, you know, we don't have to get into detail maybe of what it is. Um, it's you know, totally on you. If you want yeah. to go into details, you can, if you don't, you don't have from to. From like 15 on, I was always like using, you know, smoking marijuana or, or drinking and, and it just like, you know, kind of like yeah. an average kid almost did like in high school experimenting and you know having fun but like i just kind of regularly always did that and um you know and and i guess during high school like you said like i was a decent athlete so i kind of just coasted through life or i thought that i had everything figured out but i didn't you know i really knew nothing oh the only thing i really know how to do was to use and to put a ball inside of a hoop 
I didn't really know. I didn't have any work ethic. I didn't know what I wanted to do really after high school. I thought I had it all figured out at 17 years old. Um, but really, I didn't. And life kind of came quick and I couldn't handle it. And uh, I guess I, you know, I suffer from anxiety and I didn't really realize that because I was always on some kind of substance. Um, and like you said, I did briefly go to college and like that just kind of spiraled out of control as far as life on life's mm -hmm. terms. Like I couldn't handle it. So you, so Arlington, uh, by the time you, you got there, was becoming, you know, more affluent. You're, how old are you now? I'm sorry. Me, I'm 31. Okay, so yeah. there's like seven years difference between us. So that's, yeah. that's, you know, that's a decent amount. So when I was growing up, Arlington still had a little bit more of a blue-collarness to it. Yeah. Um, by the time that you were kind of in high school, it was certainly kind of becoming that a more affluent suburb. Um, but that's not, you grew up actually in Somerville, Correct. right? You, so you had a really different background than most Big of the time. kids that you were that you were going to school with. Do yep. you think that that played a role in it at all? Like, yeah, I think it did. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I did. I moved like right at high school. So like I was 15 when I moved from Somerville to Arlington and it was just me and my mom. And, you know, like I said before, like in my story, it wasn't like, oh, like pity, like I didn't have much or I like I did grow up poor, but I had everything that I needed. You know, my 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 dad left when I was like three years old. And so like moving from like the inner city to to Arlington, like I felt like I didn't really fit in because all these kids like I had like nice things. They had nice houses. They had nice cars. They had nice clothes and their families worked hard for those things. I'm not like, you know, that that's what they did. But I couldn't identify with that. That's not where I came from. It's not what I had. So I looked back at our little apartment and me like taking the bus and not having all these nice cool things or going away and all these awesome vacations. And like, I thought that like my life wasn't as, as, you know, as good, but really I had everything I needed. So it was like, uh, was the feeling that you, you weren't enough or you didn't have enough? Correct. Or that, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. all that def And I would use and, and trying to get outside of myself or I thought that I had to fit in or be cool and have people like me by, you know, mm -hmm. going to the parties or, mm -hmm. or, doing really good at sports and I thought that that's how I got all my friends but really I was people liked me just because of who I was yeah. you know and I didn't really realize that and I like all my coaches were pretty much my teachers as well so like I was really good at living that double life I had good grades you know I did good at, at sport I remember you were a good student yeah I was I was decent you know I had really good grades so like my mom didn't my mom's I love my mom she's probably the strongest like lady I know like she raised three kids on her own like she's She's been there for me even today, you know what I mean, helping with my kids. Um, she taught me a lot. She really did. But she also, like, I, I was just really good at living that double life. She didn't know exactly what was going on with me because from the outside, everything looked really good. I was going to school. I was going to, I was going to practice. I was doing my homework like I had. I just kind of coasted through life, honestly, like. And then once high school ended, I didn't prepare for anything after that. Mm -hmm. You know, like I didn't like I would see college. I would talk to college recruits. But Sam, all I saw was the door. Yeah, that was it. All yeah. I cared about was like that next fix was right. well, I didn't really think about my future. All I cared about was the party that I was going to after my game on the, Friday the, night. The, the next dopamine hit. Yeah, yeah. seriously. That's yeah, really sure. what it was. Yeah. I didn't I didn't push. My, I did the bare minimum from 15 to 20. The bare minimum. I, I just did what I went to practice and that was it. Yeah, I mean, it's, I can relate to so a lot of things that you're saying are resonating with me. You know, I got into, I started 
uh, of drinking and, and experimenting with stuff when I was probably around 14, 15. Um, and I was a just gifted student and I was a really good athlete and I was not prepared for college. And I, and you know, I think the summer before my freshman year of college, things really started to get out of control for me. Um, Cause it's like, Oh, I'm about to be an adult. I'm about to be independent. I'm about to be, you know, and then my freshman year of college, I, ba I was just, a, I was, a, I was not prepared for it at all. I was a mess. I was basically, you know, flunking out. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and it was like, you know, I just, I wasn't ready. And it yeah. sounds like the same, you know, it's like, you're, you're just not, not, not prepared for it. And, and it scares me now with my kids. Like how the heck do I, whether it's college or, or a trade or whatever, I mean, they're, they're my, my son's not is five. My older one's five. My youngest is, is a year, you know, so we're a ways away, but I know it goes by quick. And I'm like, how do I, cause I had great parents. I, they weren't neglectful or anything, but like, I was really good at keeping things hidden as well. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, how in the world do I prepare my kids for, for like the real world, whatever that next step is? Yeah, right. I have no idea. <laughs> maybe, maybe it's that you, you can't, because I mean, one thing I'm, I'm hearing in common is that, you know, and my, myself included, you know, I mean, you, you're playing, I'm playing basketball all over the world. You know, it's, it's very secular. You yeah. know, you get what you want. I can get that dopamine hit, whether yeah. it's women, yeah, drugs, you know, whatever, yeah. right? And maybe it's, you know, I'm hearing that your parents did all that they could. Yeah. Right. So one thing you know, when when you're an addict, whatever. I mean, and this is this is me speaking from a basketball standpoint, yeah. you know, just what, whatever that fix is. Mm -hmm. You're a wonderful liar. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. No, you know, th th that's who we are. So how do you tell as a parent? Yeah. There's yeah. nothing you're going to be able to do yeah. except share with your kid. Yeah. yeah. Right. I mean, at least that's the way yeah. I'm looking at it right now. I don't oh, know. 100 percent. I was a great liar. That's all I did. I lied for <laughs> right. eight, seven years. Right. You know, I just coasted. I went there. I yeah. took the back door every time. Just right. just did whatever. Like I said, like I just did the bare minimum. I did whatever I had to do to not be in trouble and to do the, I guess, the, the right thing. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't I didn't attempt or push myself in yeah. in school, you know, in 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 the gym. Mm -hmm. I just did what I had to do. It was all right. Five thirty. Practice was over. I didn't. St Greg didn't stay. Right. I did not stay. Wow. You know, maybe I could have done pushed myself and gone to a higher level if I mm -hmm. actually tried more, but I mm -hmm. didn't. When you were in high school, do you feel like things were, were were getting out of control, or do you feel like when you were in high school, you still had things kind of in control? Were they already spiraling, or were you, were you? No, that I still had things kind of in in control. I really did. It was right after. It was like that summer. You know, right out right after high school, I went into college and. I just stopped doing every because I didn't have to. I didn't have a set as yeah. as as schedule. I guess I, it all honestly it happened really fast. It was like that summer, mm -hmm. you know, 2010, 2011 is like really when my life, you know, kind of spiraled out of control. Where I, you know, I dropped out of school. I got kicked off the team. I got arrested for the first time. I got my mother evicted from our apartment, um, and because I was selling drugs out of the back door. And she had no idea. And we were mm -hmm. a tenant at will, and we had an eviction notice, and she had mm -hmm. been paying her rent on time for six years that we lived there from 2015 to 2020, five years. And she was completely confused on why she was being evicted. It was because her, her youngest son was selling drugs out of the back door. So w was that your, like, rock-bottom moment? Yeah. Or you just... That was it. Okay. That was it. Wow. Yep. What, what, um... How does that go down between you and your mom at that point when when she's like realizes she's getting evicted and 
you know, I don't know if you come clean or she pieces it together or, or she. I didn't. I put my hands up and I said, I don't know. Because I was so numb and I lied and mm-hmm. I was so scared and I didn't mm-hmm. know what to do. And she didn't even know. Because I didn't actually get in trouble there. You know, to be honest, this is a true story. I didn't get arrested. I didn't get in trouble at the house. A neighbor complained to, like, the property managers or the owners of the, the apartment complex that we right. lived in. Right. And they just gave us an eviction notice. Wow. There was no, like, getting in trouble, no getting caught, no nothing. That's why my wow. mom was like, what is going on? Wow. Yeah, and I didn't. I didn't say what had happened. Eventually, I did, mm-hmm. but we had already moved. We moved to Woburn, you know. We moved not too far from here, and like that didn't last long. And I was eventually kicked out of the house. Everything came out of the light, um, and I found myself homeless, twenty-one years old, on the streets of Boston for about three and a half years. Wow. Yeah. So oh yeah. Three. So on oh, you go. No, ahead. Go ahead. I was, you know, so. You guys moved to Woburn, and then you get kicked out. Yep. Is that because your mom found out about the last everything, place? Everything. About everything. Yeah. And how does that go down with you? Because you, you say that you guys have a really good relationship now. Yeah. But at the time, did you, at the time, how do you take that? I mean, I think humans, we can go a couple different ways. We can go like, man, I really fucked up, and this is on me, and shame. Yep. Or we can, I think when we are still... You know, a lot of us will look for anywhere to put the blame except on ourselves when we mess up that bad. Yeah. We're not ready to start changing things. So, like, how did you take it? Was it like, oh, man, you know, this is everyone's fault but mine? Or was it, you know? I mean, yeah, for a while I was still in denial. Like, I was just kind of doing whatever. Honestly, I was so numb to it. I just, I, I was off and running. I ran. You know, my brothers had their own place. They were 10 and 12 years older than me. So that was kind of my, like, even fast forwarding. I mean, uh going backwards rewinding and um when i was like 10 years old they were 22 and 19 so my mom would be out with her boyfriend or at work or whatever and like they would be you know they're not they would be drinking and having fun and having girls and having music and like that was my environment at a young age so like that's where i just kind of i guess where it was installed in me and even going across the street in the projects playing basketball with my friends at a young age seeing all those kids across there like you know with the loud music and smoking weed and drinking yep. and having the cars and like that's what i was attracted to i was like a product of my environment like that's what i thought that i had to do or that's what the cool kids were doing so eventually that's what i ended up doing you know and i realized that i guess a few years ago that like holy crap that's kind of like where it started um and then to answer like you're like I after I left I kind of like bounced around from my brother's house like I lived I lived in with back with them in Somerville like I we lived in Union Square in like a little one bedroom studio with my brother and my two cousins who are also uh, God rest their souls they're both they both passed away from active addiction and they're both wow. twins uh, they were like my, my my best friends we were like the three amigos you know they 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 passed away like five years six years apart from each other within wow. a mile were, were, did they have any people in their family that were that had addiction problems well yeah me you? Uh, yeah they yeah. were you know we were in uh, one of my my middle brother my older brother is also you know in recovery okay. um, not our not my oldest brother but my brother above me is. So, so that's a weird dynamic going on there, yeah because right? you can have a perfect family yeah right and still become addicted oh yeah and you can be caught up in an environment 
mm-hmm. do something and it's still, you know, and, and become addicted. Yeah. So it just happens. It's not like. No, it does. It does. Right. Wow. It can. Yeah. Wow. I, I honestly believe I was born with the, with the disease okay. of addiction. Right. I do. I think it's in my blood. Okay. You know, my grand, like just some people are, some yeah, people the, aren't. To skip a generation. Yeah. Theory, right? yeah. 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 Okay. All right. How do you? So you said it was like three years of being home, of kind of being homeless. Oh yeah, in and out, running around the streets of Boston, How do you jail. Survived during those those three years, and what do you? Oh man, I stayed in homeless shelters. I stayed on the street. I was in jail. I was in detoxes, treatment centers. You know, just everything. Just doing, just using the system, doing whatever I could to get by. Honestly, was I was stuck down Mass Ave, like you say. Really, you down oh, yeah. Mass Ave? Huh? Oh yeah, I was down there for a little bit. Wow. Yeah, before it was even really, really bad, Mass Ave. I'm yeah. talking nine years ago. Yeah. I was there. Man, was yeah. That, is that, did you do go, like go through the twelve step program? Oh yeah, stuff yep. like that? Okay. Yeah, I go to Narcotics Anonymous okay. meetings right now. Okay, yep. cool. Yeah, shout out to Lost Dreams Awakening Group and Narcotics Anonymous. Monday nights we meet at seven o'clock in Hudson, New Hampshire. Shout out, shout That's out. That's it. I sit it. in the same chair every single week. You know, to bring that up, actually, it's kind of there's. I love NA, you know, because mm-hmm. like we it's just like a really cool spot like even like i played basketball on like a high level talked like played and like hung out with a lot of people i had a lot of friends i you know like you know me from high school like i i didn't have a problem fitting in but i really really found my home at na Mm. i felt like i belonged like this is where i'm supposed to be you know because it's all walks of life there and and like people that come there are struggling or going through the same thing that I'm going through or mm-hmm. are, are going through things that I've already gone through yeah. or have been through things that I might go through in the future. And, and that's kind of, it, it's a beautiful thing. It really is. It's so, not just me that's fucked up. There are other people oh, who yeah, have the yeah, same yeah, issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's yeah, a lot of, I'm still sick today, almost <laughs> eight years clean and sober. You know what I mean? So you, you were saying that for three years and you were kind of going through cycles, going in and out, yeah. different treatments and doing whatever. Was there like a real rock bottom moment that was like, okay, this something changed that got you clean? Or can you put your finger on on what it was that that finally helped you get? I can, I can. So I lost, you know, my my cousin Kyle uh, while I was still using. I was I wasn't in recovery yet, um, and you know, I lost my cousin Damien. I've lost an uncle. Like I've lost a lot of friends and family. You know, while I was still out there, and I was so numb to it. Like, I was I sad? Was I cried? Like, I was actually in jail during my cousin's services, so I couldn't even go mm. because I wasn't immediate family. So I still live with that today. And then Craig, his twin brother, passed away during COVID. So only immediate family could go into the service of, because we, you know, they, he was cremated. Right. So there was only like right. four people that were allowed. And I unfortunately wasn't one of those four. It was like, you know, my, my grandmother, my cousin, uh, my aunt. And, you know, and my uncle like they were like the only ones that could go in and it, and it killed me so mm-hmm. like those are like my two but I, and I couldn't even be there to actually give a proper good goodbye um, and um, you know to answer your question about like something like resonating it I don't know I so there's this thing called the section 35 it's a civil suit in the state of massachusetts where you can pretty much lock yourself up but it's not a criminal like you're not in trouble Mm -hmm. it's not a criminal suit like it doesn't go against your record it's basically like a treatment center like where i work Mm -hmm. but it's involuntary so you can't actually leave you're in jail you're in a drug treatment center but with barbed wire you're not leaving you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so you're doing the 30 days Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's really just for people that need the help but don't want it so your right. family members like like say just say you're 
for example, like your your brother was yeah. struggling, you could go to the courthouse right now and file the Section 35 paperwork and say, hey, my brother needs help. The judge will sign it, and they'll go pick him up, and they'll take him away and do the 30 days. Okay. So I Section 35 myself. I did wow. it myself. So I called my mother, and the rela- like the relationship that I had with my mom while I was out there kind of ripping and running was only through Facebook Messenger. And she would randomly send me question marks, and I'd say, "Yeah, mom, I'm still alive." That mm-hmm. was the relationship I had with my mom. Mm-hmm. Wow! And she didn't deserve that, but like that—that's what it was for a few years. It was—it was cold, it was dark, and she would just—I knew what she meant when she sent me question marks. I knew what she meant, and she just was waiting for a response. Right. I could have just typed dots or something. Yeah. She would know that I was alive, mm-hmm. and um, I called her and I said, "Mom, meet me in the courthouse in Medford at the Cambridge Courthouse." She came, she signed the papers, she left. And I said, Judge, take me away. Right. And I went because I knew that I was safe for 30 days because I physically couldn't stop using on my own. I couldn't walk into like a place like where I work or, or anywhere, like a hospital, and just say, I'm Greg, I need help <laughs> because I would leave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would do five days and I would get out or do whatever and do detox and I'd be out. But that makes sense because there's no yeah. there's no objectivity w- with an addict. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's just yeah. Like, <laughs> it might be right then and now. If like right. if I was struggling right now and you were like, "Hey, Greg, you want to get help?" and I'm like, "Yeah." Yeah. But then it takes a little bit to get mm-hmm. in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I might change my mind and be like, "Yeah, I'm out." <laughs> yeah. Right. Yo, it have it's every day. I do this. Every, this is what yeah. I deal with every single day. Wow. I I deal with like those crying mothers today. You know, I deal with. The addicts that are struggling, the alcoholics that can't get out of the bar. I, I deal with that every single day, all day. So here's here's a question. Yeah. All right. So right now we've got all type of dispensaries all over the place. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How the hell do you deal with that every day? That don't mm-hmm. bother me. It don't bother me. No. Okay. okay. God, no. Right. No, okay. no. Maybe when I had like a few months clean and sober, uh-huh. sure. Uh-huh. Yeah, but there's liquor stores and bars everywhere. Yeah. Right. There's right. drug dealers on all the corners. Well, and that's you why know I what I mean? Because I'm always looking at, you know, even when you, you think about recovery, I mean, yeah. now you can talk about taking ayahuasca or something yeah, like that. Yeah, you know, yeah, you're, you're looking to find yourself. And I'm like, how do you find yourself offering another drug? Um, that's right, crazy that you even brought that up because that's a, <laughs> that's a popular thing today. Yeah, and yeah, it's, yeah. I scratch my head at it because that is a, I, I, people have different ways. Because you can use it in a medical way, I guess, right, yeah, you know, to, yeah. for spiritual. And I respect anyone that does that. If they mm-hmm. need to do that to heal, to find their inner self, like I'm all about it. Mm-hmm. But you're using a substance to get outside yeah. of yourself. Right. And for, yourself. <laughs> correct. For a relapse in Narcotics Anonymous is using a substance to get outside of yourself. Okay. So to me, that's a relapse. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I actually, you know, I have my, so in, in like 12 steps in AANA, you have something called a sponsor, you know, to help mm-hmm. you kind of go through the steps and help you with your recovery. And my, I've. I've been sober for over seven and a half and I had my first sponsor for six years and he did that. And he's no longer my sponsor. Right. But he's still my friend. So your friend, exactly. I love him. You know, I talk to him, but I can't have him be my sponsor. Yeah. Because he's real big into the meditation and the healing, and I love that about him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But he goes on these retreats and takes it. Yeah. And does like, and I'm like, I I can't. Yeah. I can't do that. I can't do that, you know, because I I just feel like, for me, I know my limits or, or I might be okay that day if I did it but maybe mm-hmm. in a week I might have a drink mm-hmm. or I might go yeah. back to my substance you know yeah. what I mean or who yeah. knows God who knows but I just 
there's a lot of people doing it and it and it's and it's scary for someone who maybe has the you know is an addict yeah, yeah. so there's, there's such a qualitative difference like with, within the drugs yeah you know i mean <laughs> yeah it's different from when i was using it is because i was actually you know my 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 drug of choice was heroin Okay, it was heroin, and I and I used heroin. So I grew up. I didn't use fentanyl, right? Because that's so the stuff it's now. It's laced with fentanyl, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Man, There's that, no more heroin anymore. No more. Huh? Nah, because wow. it's man-made. It's a lot cheaper, and it's a lot. The mass production is is fentanyl. It's quicker. So like wherever it's coming from, they're actually making it wherever. Heroin, you have to grow, you have to process, you mm-hmm. have to ship it, you have mm-hmm. to fentanyl. You can make right yeah. on the border, and bang, it's right there. Right there, you, people are making it in their in their basements, just like crystal meth is so popular too, because mm-hmm. you can make it. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's 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 cost. It's if you look at the business side of it, because that's where it's from yeah. the mass quantities wherever it's coming from. Right, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's 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 cost of, uh, effective to to just do fentanyl instead of heroin. Wow. So, so when you went in for that involuntary thirty days, and well, we can go back to that. That. Go ahead, sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say, so I just understand that. So you, you reached out to your mom. So did she technically have you? She was the one who filled it out. You have to because you, you can't do it yourself. You can't do it yourself, but yes. it was because you asked her yeah, to. Yeah, like if you were going to go and you needed to, some like your whoever, your immediate family, would have to just come sign it yeah. and then walk out. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did, did. While I was in there. Yeah, I was going to ask. While you. I was in there. And I met that there was this other guy in there. I don't remember. I don't even remember his name. That's how much I didn't even know him because he was there probably a couple of weeks before me. He was leaving as kind of I was probably with him for like a few days in there. And we would, you know, catch catch rack, play, play dominoes, play mm-hmm. cards or whatever. And he left. So he completed like his time there. And we had gotten wind back with not even 24 hours later that he was no longer with us. So he had completed the program, left, used, and and passed away. Left, used, and passed away. Wow. Just, just like that. Used once and died. Wow. And I was like, holy shit, that's going to be me. And I don't even know him. Like I said, I lost family. Like, I've lost friends. And it didn't stop me. But for some reason, this, like, scared me. It shook me for some reason. I don't even know. And I was like, holy shit, I'm going to leave here. I'm going to use and I'm going to die. So I got with my case manager I talked to my mom. We found I talked to a sober house owner uh, in Chelsea, uh, Chelsea's house sober living. They get a shout out, um, and hot tub. I have to say hot tub, um, and um, they helped. He held the bed for me, and my my mom helped with like a few weeks rent. I got like a partial scholarship, and like I went to this sober house, and with a trash bag full of clothes and a little bag of, of food, and my mom said, "Good luck." Mm-hmm. Like this is it. Like mm-hmm. here you go, and I've been to halfway houses before and sober houses, and like it didn't work. And when I got to this house, there was, thank God, there was a couple guys in this house that had like a year sober. They had like a year and a half, two years, like short, like you know, still mm-hmm. early in their recovery, mm-hmm. but they were working somewhat of a program that I wasn't familiar with. Because when I was in programs early on with like a week clean, two weeks, a, a 30 days, I was around guys around my environment of guys that weren't doing the right thing. They weren't bad people, but they weren't taking meetings seriously. They weren't taking programs seriously. They weren't working yet. They weren't they weren't doing the right things yet. And like I would take me out every single time. Um, but while I was here at this house, there were guys going to meetings. There were guys having sponsors. There were guys going to work. 
There were guys like, you know, passing urines. There were guys Mm -hmm. seeing their kids. There were guys not dealing with probation officers. And I was like, holy crap, like these guys are living like somewhat of a life, you know, like getting their life back together of like honesty and recovery. And I was like, whoa. So like I got in the car with them and they and I sat bitch, put my seatbelt on and said, where are we going? You know, and they were like, oh, we're going to Charlestown. We're going to Revere. We're going to we're going to Everett. Like we're going to these meetings and I went to these meetings and I got my hand up and like started sharing like who I was and like I'm new around here like I'm Greg I'm an addict I need help I don't know what to do and like eventually I got help from other addicts so when you're when you're in a meeting and can you tell when somebody's bullshitting I mean yeah yeah, yeah. you kind of can <laughs> okay. if they're talking out of their ass or if they're you know using and they're saying they're clean like mm-hmm. yeah you can mm-hmm. you can but we don't we just kind of love them up okay you know because right. eventually it comes out in the light or right. we just know you know that happens every day all day yeah. Yeah, you yeah. know it does no you're right uh, but people you know like it's actually harder to not lie, cheat, or steal than it is to use drugs and alcohol. Right. I say that all okay. the time. All right. You know, because it's, you could be clean and sober, but you're walking into Walgreens and stealing shampoo. Because, you know, that's hard. For me, it was harder to not do that. I couldn't go into just buy like a pack of cigarettes and not put a candy bar in my pocket or a pack wow. of gum, even though I was clean. It was harder for me not to steal. Or lie or cheat, just, you know, not necessarily like cheat on your significant yeah. other. I just mean cheat in general, yeah. like cheat in life, cheat in shortcuts, whatever yeah. it is, yeah. you know? Were those habits that you picked up while you were? Yeah, when I was young. Uh, yeah, so was I even had. Were, yeah. Gotcha. I even had that when I was young, yeah. to be honest. I did. You know, even being a good. I would still just go in the. We, me and my friends, we would run in the, in the store and take the candy and run out. You know, we would just do it. Um, and, like, I realized that after, and, like, through the, like, doing the 12 steps, I realized that it was harder to not, I stopped, like, lying, cheating, and stealing. Mm-hmm. I changed my behaviors. I changed my attitude. Like, I mm-hmm. changed my perception on life. I changed, and, like, I learned a lot of things about myself and my limits. Like, anyone could do the 12 steps. Mm-hmm. Like, you guys could do it and just take out, like, you don't have those problems, so you yeah. just take out the word drugs or alcohol and you put in whatever. Yeah. Life. You can yeah. just put life there and, yeah. and you can actually become a better person by doing the 12 steps and, like, learn different things and, and change your attitude and, your like, your perception on anything. So you, when you, f- you do the 30-day involuntary, you go to the, the sober, the sober house. house. Yep. Have you been clean ever since that? Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. I mean, November twenty seven, two thousand and fourteen is my is my clean date. I haven't found it necessary to use a mind altering substance since that day. I do vape, you know. I did yeah. sm- like I have my ca- my caffeine and nicotine. That's okay. that's all I got. Okay. I, so when when uh, I'm, I'm I'm asking this, so how hard is it? Because I'm thinking about prescriptions. Yep. Okay. So do do people like? come up with injuries do they break arms do they do things like that just to be able to get a prescription Oof. it's definitely happened it's happened okay oh yeah all right i psh, i wouldn't put i've probably thought about it back okay. in the day you know but i definitely don't put it past people to break their finger their right. you know or whatever yeah. to just get a get a prescription kit, right. yeah yeah, I had a tooth pulled, and I had to tell the the doctor that I, I no painkillers. No nothing. Right. He asked. I had a follow up, and he asked me again, and I had to be like, I, I straight up like almost stood up and said, I'm an addict in recovery. 
do not give me any prescriptions. Did you, you tell him that the first time? Yeah. And he offered a second yeah. time? So wow. this is what I'm saying. Yeah. Why? Why I said just that? ibuprofen. I was like, I just need ibuprofen. That's all I took. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. I, he's busy though, and yeah. I came back again, like because I had a, you know, I had to have the operation, and he was just. I don't think he was a bad guy, or but I don't think they realize it, man. That, yeah. that should be documented right away. Yeah. That like, oh, this person said no, like the first time, you know, or he's in recovery. Like I had to tell him. Normally, I don't just tell everyone that. Like I, I, I I'm comfortable telling anyone that, but not everyone is. Like, oh, yeah, I'm in recovery. I'll, I'll just, you know, we're doing a podcast and I'm talking yeah. about it. You know what I mean? I'll tell, I'll stand at the mountaintop and say, I am in recovery. I'm an addict, but I'm, pr- mm-hmm. you know, I'm mm-hmm. proud of who I am and I love myself. Mm-hmm. But like, I had to tell this guy, like, dude, I'm in recovery. Like, I already told you I can't have any painkillers. So you were, you said your drug of choice was heroin. Which, yeah. Which I've never, that I, I was in my time was much more into the stuff that got me up. Yep. Yep. Uh, which is why I think I, I drink like six cups of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> my, my way of um, but that I have heard is like the hardest to kick that like, you know, once you're kind of that, that heroin is just like as hard as it gets to kick and you've been closing in on eight years. Yeah. From getting out and not relapsing, like how hard has it been? Like, what was the you kind of you get out? Okay, I went through it. You go to the sober, and then it's like, okay, now the rest of my life. Like, how hard has that yeah. rest of your life been of not relapsing? So it's it's people get overwhelmed or struggle when they talk about the rest of their lives. That's why they always have the saying like one day, one at, day a time. at a time. But it's hard to go by that. Oh, I, you know, like today, I'm all I can't worry about tomorrow. You know, not like I don't know what's I get. You know, I try to. What I struggle with is thinking of my my kids as my sons. Like, oh, what? Where are they going to be in twenty years? Are they going to have everything they need? Are mm-hmm. we going to? But that's where like my head goes. But you know, I don't even. I know this is crazy, but my first year of sobriety has was easier than my last say year or two. Wow, if that makes any sense. Just because I didn't have as many responsibilities. Not because I'm in my head thinking that I want to use. I don't yeah. have the urge to use is completely lifted. But life has been harder the yeah. last couple of years because I have more responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Because in my first year, all I had to do was see my probation officer, follow the rules of the sober house, pay my rent on a Friday, and go to meetings. That Those are my only responsibilities. Right. You know, and I had, like, that was it. Wow. That was it, dude. Like I was twenty four years old, like just turned twenty five, like didn't have any kids. Now like now I have two kids. I'm married. Uh, I have a mortgage. I have a career. Like I have a lot of you know, I have a lot of things on my plate. Now I opened up a sober house, so now I have mm-hmm. like I have a lot going on. So and then COVID, you know, like we yeah. talked like COVID happened, like shout out I got respect for anyone that has like a year or two or is in really early recovery from 2020 to 2021 because meetings stopped in person meetings stopped the church is closed the the recovery centers like not not like treat like obviously detoxes didn't close but like drop-in centers closed yes. you know what I mean Did the death rate go up good that's a good question I don't know if the death rate went up but the percentage of people going to treatment went up went up right okay. yeah it's gone up since right. covid okay. oh yeah because you yeah, have I'm people sure a lot more people were using during covid mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah 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 but um 
you know, it's it's people. They didn't have that interaction with people that right. pe- say someone was struggling it. in 2020, like of of April mm-hmm. or May when they first entered recovery. They couldn't just go to a meeting and try and meet yeah. people and try and right. get help. Right. They had to do it over Zoom. That social interaction. Yeah, yeah, that's the biggest part of it. That, yeah, that, connection well, is the biggest part of it. They had to do it over Zoom. It's so much harder to connect with people over Zoom, yeah. and also you're reliant on. You know, having having a computer, having internet, having you know everything to, to be able to, and a lot of people don't don't have that or they no. don't have they don't have no even if they have some of those, they don't have a, a private place to go yep. and disclose stuff about themselves and you right. and share and, and all that. That's that's yeah. So how what were the next steps after? So you did that first year. You said it was easier than now because now you're doing amazing. You have a home. You've got a family. You have a wife. Yeah, you're back. Uh, reconnected with your mom yeah but but what what happened between year one to get to here okay um i don't know i a lot of people rush to get things back that's what we struggle with even in society and life like not even just in people that are in recovery or if they you know slowly get out of treatment and they we want to rush we want things right now you know what i mean like even you know just in general like after work we want to i just want to be home right away you know that there's we rush to get things back and then once we have those things back we're like what next mm-hmm. you know that's what so that's what people do in early recovery it's like oh yeah i got some time now i finished the 12 steps which usually they're lying that's one of the biggest things about like people that work the 12 steps like i've it took me a long time to get through the 12 steps and narcotics because there's a lot of, of of writing that you have to do. So if you hear someone in a meeting that has like nine months clean and they're like, yeah, I just finished 12 steps, that means they literally did nothing for those nine months except right. for write right. because there's a lot of questions. Yeah. There's 69 questions in the first, just in step one. So is wow. this like self-authoring? Yeah. So okay. Got yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And then, so I guess, I guess, um, you know, to answer like, why I brought that up is because I didn't rush to get things back or to to go do this or to find the next thing because it's almost like the the dopamine like you just you want that next thing it's like oh I need like money in my pocket I need the car I need the girl I need the the career like I didn't focus on that I focused on my recovery you know I focused on the steps I focused on just like the little things you know eventually I moved out of that sober house well then I was a house manager and like supervising a couple of the houses of the first house that I went to and then I got a, I got an apartment with a friend of mine uh, and then I started working in treatment as like a level entry like a behavioral health technician so that's when I actually I was like a year and a half ish year and a half like clean and I started working in treatment and then um, my my wife today um, started working at the same place and like like I, she got promoted I got promoted then we started then we moved in together then we had a baby together then we started working together and it became too much so I actually left the field and I started like just working back in construction yeah um, I was like baby I was like you're doing great I can go get a job banging a hammer for X Y and Z money right. you know what right. I mean you you do you I'll yeah. do this because my relationship with her was more important than our my job. You know, so like that's what I did. And um, I honestly was missing something in me. I feel like something was like a part of me was missing. And like I realized that like the purpose of life is to help others. That's what like that's what I'm here for. My purpose in life is to help other people, whatever that is. But the true definition of life to me is helping others, helping people, helping people, whatever it is. Like if you're a chef, you're helping people because you're feeding people. 
You know, if you're a construction worker, you're helping people because you're building houses for other people. Right. You know, if you work in treatment, you're helping other people in treatment. You know, if you're whatever, you know, you can go on and on. If you're a police officer, you're helping save the community. You're helping people. So, like, that's anything that you do. I don't care what it is. Fine. Fine. You could even a week from now think, oh, what about this job? No, you're helping someone do that job. So, you know, if you work with animals, you're helping the environment. You're helping the ocean. You're helping people. You're helping. You're helping animals. Yeah. You're helping people. Yeah. So now you're 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 um, give me the title again. I'm an outreach coordinator. Okay, right. So yep. Okay. Right. So now, yep. outreach coordinator. Right. So what you're sharing because you've already been through it is is more of wisdom than anything. Correct. Because, because of yep. what you've gone through. Yeah. You've yep. become wiser at. Yep. Know, what's what's really going on in yeah. you and whoever you're trying to help. Correct. Yep. Yeah, like the uh, like the, the I could talk to a guy, girl, kid, doesn't matter, son, mm-hmm. father, and they could say, yeah, I don't need help, and I'll be like, yeah, yeah you, you do. do. <laughs> if you're talking to me, yeah. mm-hmm. you need help. Mm-hmm. You didn't just stumble. We're not just having a random conversation for no reason. Mm-hmm. You know, you struggle. You're struggling. You know, you might have things together. Like, like I said, like when I was young, like I had things con- in control, but like, are you living? Yeah. Like to me, like there's a difference between existing and living. Are you living a life? Or are you just existing in this life? Like, what are you doing? Are you happy? Do you have goals? Do you like? Do you have hobbies? That was a big thing for me. Is basketball was is my like first love, mm-hmm. and for a while I was not playing basketball. Mm-hmm. You know, when I was using, and then when I got to the sober house, there was a couple of guys that were like playing, and like they didn't know me from the hole in the wall. Right. And I'm like, I'm like, all oh, these guys are like going to play basketball, like playing some pickup, like doing this and like doing that. And, like I started to get back into it, and like there were like all these recovery events, and like people were playing, and I'm like, oh, this is like really cool. And one of my my good friends today is actually the partner in my sober house. His name's John Hanson. Shout out to him. Um, he's like my best friend. He's actually Tatum's godfather, and like okay. he oh, came Tatum, to that. Like Julius, yeah, the doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife was like, "What's gonna be his nickname?" I was like, "Deuce." <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> something's for life, man. Jalen Brown, don't go anywhere. We love you. The, Bos- the the people of Boston love you, my man. Um, <laughs> seriously, and um, you know, like. He moved to that house too, and like he like wanted to like do some stuff and like hang out and like play ball and like that's mm-hmm. what we did. Mm-hmm. I would like I, early on, all I did was go to meetings, go to work, and play basketball for like a long time, and like some football, like flag football, like other things to like have like find my hobbies. So like I found like my passion, what my purpose in life is. I have my schedule, I have my my routine, I have my hobbies, which is basketball. I have my family. I have, you know, I have a simple life. I don't I don't need all these crazy things. I don't need to go do all this. I go to work, I go home to my family, we go on vacation a couple times a year. I play basketball once a week on a Tuesday night. <laughs> like that's my life today, you know? I love that you said that. So that, you're saying more of there's a simplicity. Yeah. My in, life in yes. life instead of looking for yeah. everything like you said, you're, you're looking for the next thing all the time. Yes. Right? No, there's a simplicity to this. Yeah. I mean that's, even even for me and I wouldn't I'm not comparing my situation at all, but I just you talk about the simplicity of it for me. Like life is is more stressful now than maybe than probably mo- most times in my life ever before because of responsibilities. Yeah, like you talked about family, you, got kids. you know, kids, wife. Yeah, all, you know. But like, it's simpler, and I like that. You know, like I don't, I don't like hang out. I don't socially that much. I just I play with my kids. We go to the park. We go ride trains. We go yeah. do what. And like, but I like that. I do that. 
I tend to my little garden that I started this summer. Hell yeah. And nice. like, hobby. Yeah, exactly. That's a hobby, you know, yeah. and, and, and that's, that's really the simplicity for me. The, the young me would be like, I need to do stuff. Yeah, yeah but, but yeah, me yeah. now, like, I don't feel like, I used to feel like I was missing out all the time. Yeah. What are they, like, young kids for a little while, they were calling that, like, FOMO at one point. I mean, Fear I, missing out. I can't yeah, keep yeah. up with yeah. slang, yeah. but, like, yeah. I'm sure that's out of date now. They've replaced yeah. it with something else. But, like, I used to have that when I was young. Yeah. But now, like, I really, I don't care what anyone else is doing. No. Like, I want to hang out with my kids, yes. and, I, and just, and that's all I need, you know? Like, so what's your advice to the young because we're, we're talking about I'm, I'm uh, what I want to do is I want to correlate this but this is real life I like it we're, I know sports we, go right? yeah so so far I've heard that you know you wanted to simplify things yeah and what I'm thinking about right now is is what are our coaches always telling us keep it simple yeah right yeah we're always looking to increase 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 our games right yeah, yeah, yeah. one dribble move don't don't over dribble don't yeah yeah yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah yeah and we play our best when we're yeah. passing the ball we're, yeah we're, you know getting into a good shot we're keeping the yeah. game simple yes right? yeah so now I, I heard you mention another word we're talking about res- responsibilities right yeah you've got more responsibilities you got a family mortgage blah, blah blah all that stuff but as a recovering addict yeah that's what right. is your response ability, right, to those triggers that, yeah. you know, that could potentially come up? Yeah. You know? Yeah. No. Re- go, ahead, go ahead. Please. Go ahead. Recovery is number one. Okay. In my life. Yeah. It has to be. Mm-hmm. It, it's number one. You can't put things before it because all those other things will just will just crumble. Right. You have to have your recovery. For, like, you know, recovery is the base, yeah. like a foundation mm-hmm. of your house. You don't put the windows on first. You know what I mean? They're just going to fall. Because like yeah, if you fell back into addiction, everything else would fall apart. Correct. So. That's yeah. what it is. So that's why you just put recovery first and everything mm-hmm. else just falls into place. So now they're slipping. We, we, we look at the kids today and, I mm. mean, your life is, has been one of, we call it lore, right? Yeah. <laughs> so now... We got kids who weren't able to, you know, because of, you know, because of the pandemic and sports being therapeutic, our kids are falling into themselves, right? And not having a way to express themselves. Yeah. Does does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, you know. They're more distanced. They're more at home. They're more, yeah, they're more in front of screens. They're not out and about. Like, yeah. You know, I had to be out of the house. Yeah, you know, yeah. but I was out. I was mm-hmm. always running around the sh- wherever with the kid, like when I was young. Yeah. And it's, it, it life has changed a lot. And it, and it's people in general. I feel like that's why. Like it's also that's another spiral. Like the medications of like oh, you hear of all these crazy things that are going on in the world here, and mm-hmm. you know, and people like with depression, and anxiety, right, which are right. real things. Really you know, they're. In, uh, like even the, like the shootings that are happening, mm-hmm. like all this stuff, like they weren't happening as much before, you know, yeah. even say 25 years ago mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's all kids. That's it's not kids that are doing it. You know what I mean? But it's it. it the world is, is changed. I feel like more because of technology and medication. Mm-hmm. So the, the medication would be the feel no pain. Yeah, right. and and just messing with people psychologically. So, but now we're saying and so social media is messing with the kids too, right? So now all we do, we, so we medicate the kids either with television or social yeah, media, yeah, or you medicate them, stabilize with, them. Yeah, yeah. I think one of the yeah. big problems, to, because I'm a big proponent of medication, if it's you know, if it because everybody's different, and some people can deal with stuff, you know, whether it's ADHD, depression, they mm-hmm. can deal with it without. Some people really do need to be medicated. You know, yeah, yes, no, of course. Of course. Yeah. And, my, and my wife is; she works in the mental health field. She's yeah. a, she's a 
uh, therapist runs a private practice and she's medicated and she, yep. it makes a world of difference when she has been unmedicated at times it yep. is really strange. but one of the other problems I've seen you know is that young kids that maybe do need to be medicated then turning around and selling these prescriptions to like other kids that, that happens and too so that's a big problem is that like medication it can make a world difference for the right kid who it's prescribed for who needs it but then these things are taking it properly prescribed exactly. too. too like you they know, might mis- mistreat it yeah. they might yeah you know i'm not saying that's the reason but yeah. like that's kind no, I think of that all to these, answer where all these things are coming into place it's, for, for it's kids it's like we're getting more isolated as a society yes. cuz everybody's just in front of their screen even i have my like oh, i'm terrible i, I have a, ter- i have a big problem with my phone and yeah. i try i'm really trying I feel like I might need to go to like therapy it's our or own something. Form of addiction, yeah. For, yeah. To like, yeah, to, to, to like scrolls, kick, kick this habit. It's already a thing. But, but like, there already is like technology, like social Facebook, like, yeah, it's like uh, it, intervention. It's like we're, there we're, is. We're we're we're, uh, we're more isolated because we're all on our screens, and then we're forced to stay inside, and mm-hmm. then there's all these other things that we can do. So it's like there are all these things that are going on that I think are compounding all all the all the stuff. I had it's not really related, but I want to ask it before I forget because. You know, what you described about with your mom, like, that made me, my thoughts go to my own kids when you talk about the Facebook messages, yeah. the question mark, yeah. you know, man, yeah. like that, like really, like I, I was internally getting Sad. very affected by that. Um, you know, both my parents passed away. They've both been dead uh, for a while. They're both in, in car accidents. Um mm. But like, so I don't think as much about that as I do my own kids when they get older and like, I have all this fear of, of these, you know, you can do everything right as a parent. And great, so I'm not saying great parents make a huge difference, yeah. you know. So I'm not saying it's a crapshoot. Like, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. you you Great parents make all the difference. Bobby and I have talked about yeah, fatherhood. Yeah. But you can still do everything right as a parent, and it's just that, you know, random chance, whatever, and something still, you know, happens. And, and, and I thought about that. And I'm wondering how did you and your how did you repair your relationship with your mom? Man, how, how does that happen? How it's a living it? amends. It's a living amends. I didn't like you know. Obviously, I apologized to her, or I just try to do whatever I can for her. Like today, it took a little bit. She actually she cut me off of all resources. She went so when I was struggling, she went to like um, like Al-Anon meetings or Naranon meetings, mm-hmm. like for like. You know, that's something like, say, if you had someone struggling and, yeah. you know, you're not an addict, but, like, that's somewhere you would go to learn or get educated how to deal with it. Right. Yeah. So that's where she went and she learned from other mothers who had gone through it or are still going through it on what to do. And it was completely cut me off of everything. Like, even if I wasn't in trouble, like, just call the cops whenever I was around. Mm-hmm. And, like, that's what they did. That's what they. That's what my brothers did. That's what my brother did. That's what... Cause that's what what everyone did is whenever I was around, they knew where I was. They would call the cops, just to get me out of there or to get me. Even God forbid, if I had something on me, to get me actually in trouble to go to jail to yeah. save my life. Yeah. Because if they knew if I was locked up, that I was somewhat safe. You know, yeah. I've, I've, you know, what I mean, safer than being on the street. Because yeah. God knows what's up, what I'm gonna do. Um, and I resented her for that. I, you know, but today it saved my life. And I love her for that. Like, she did that. You know what I mean? She, I had no more bridge. I had burned every bridge. I had no more couches to go on. I had nothing. I had nothing. And that's when I asked for help. That's when I made that call to, to meet me at the courthouse because I, because I had nothing left. So, like, that's what I talk to mothers today about is, you know, to try these options to not, 
you know, to this the the right way to do, but eventually it's like, no, you gotta like put your foot down, you need to like cut off this, this and that and like stop enabling and and force them to get help. And then eventually hopefully hopefully it sticks for that person. So the uh And the, today today sorry to, no, no, sorry, today I today my family calls me when there is a problem. That's that's nice. a fa- that's 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 nice. what that's what my life that's that's what I love about my life. You know, it was my family and them being able to call me when there's some someone needs to be fixed. Call Greg. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, this person, you know, my grandma, Gigi needs this. Like they, they call Greg. You know what I mean? Like my mom needs help with this. Like I'm I'm my mom's a proxy now. That's an amazing amount of respect for you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I have to say I have two old like I'm the baby. Yeah. And like I have say on on what happens to my mother. You know, she trusts me to mm-hmm. make the right decision mm-hmm. for, God forbid, ever, anything ever happened. Before, she, eight years ago, she was calling the cops on me. Right. You know, like, I have a key to her house. Like, that's 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 the best gift of sobriety that I've gotten. You know, obviously, aside from, like, my kids and my, you know, my yeah. family and my wife and stuff. But, like, that's really it. You know, I don't, I don't need all the shiny stuff. I don't. You know, it's just life, it's the simplicity of my life and the trust and the love that I have today because I didn't have that for a while. So with your kids, do you do you often think about, okay, since since I've had the issue with addiction that, that I could... My wife's in recovery too. So well, okay, all right. It's, yeah, okay. it's scary. scary. That's what right? I think yeah. about. So this is, like you said, one day at a time. You live yeah. day by day. Every day. Every day, yeah. I can't think about my boys, like, you know, what they're going to be like. With, oh, yeah, they're going to be crazy, you know. I don't know. Hopefully, <laughs> I just but I just try to do the right thing and and just love them to the fullest and like just care for them and and help them and, and teach them and and be be a father and a dad to them and hopefully that that day doesn't happen. How much did not having your own dad in the picture influence you as a father? Big time, big time, and even kind of like I'm a you know I'm a competitor at heart, so like I want to, you know I didn't have like I wasn't taught a lot of things on how to be a father. I wasn't, and I, I still, you know, I so I almost make it a, you know, I don't know, what's the word I'm looking for, um, you know, to, to be there for my kids, to make sure my, you know, my boys know that I'm there or to to, to come to me for anything. Obviously, they're, they're like babies still, yeah, but, yeah. but like eventually, like that's what I will do. That's like I didn't have my, my, my dad to just like shoot hoops with me when yeah. I was really young. Like I didn't have anyone to teach me. I was like self-taught. You know, I have my older brother who, you know, he, he has like disabilities, like learning disabilities and mm-hmm. stuff, like my oldest brother, but he was the one who was, he's like my biggest cheerleader. Like he was at every single game. Yep. He'd be at every single practice if, if even if he wasn't allowed to be, you know, like he, <laughs> he was there. Like right. he, he was my biggest fan. He even asked me today. He's like, hey, what are you playing today? Like, you know, I'm 31 years old. You know what I mean? I don't play anymore. And, you know, but I played, like I traveled around the country. Like yeah. I played in like nationals and like AU and he was yeah. right there in the car. Yeah. Yeah. He did not miss a thing. Wow. He, tr- you know, he went to Virginia Beach when we went down. Okay. We played in Memphis, played yeah. in, played in Florida. Play- I played all over the yeah. place, you know, and um, played in the New Jersey, like the Jam Fest out in yeah. Atlantic City yeah. in New Jersey. Was, right. Bobby was just coaching there. Yeah, the like I played, yeah. like I played at a high level for for a few Greg years. Could play, man. Yeah. I mean, I saw. Like, I Greg, used to. Greg could, could, could like really I had play. that. Yeah. I wasn't a shooter though. 
Okay. You know, I was a, I was like a, I was like Neither a Marcus. So yeah, I, yeah. I was I, I was a Marcus Smart. Okay. Like that's my game. Right. You know, even yes. Westbrook. You know what I mean? I will get you a triple double, and okay. I will guard the best player on the other team. Okay, that was right. my game. Yeah. You know, like you said, like I would cover the one, yeah. two, three, four, like anybody, yeah. and and shut them down. Like that was my game, and I would I would get you, I'd get you twelve points, ten rebounds, ten assists every single game. Like that was what I did. That's what I told like you know uh, Coach Titus at yeah. UMass Boston. I was like, I'm gonna be you on the court. Shout out to Charlie Titus. Yeah, my man, yes. my man. That's that's <laughs> you know like that. That's what it was. Like I was like, I'm gonna be your eyes and ears on the court. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go to war for you. Like that's mm-hmm. that's what I was good at. I was a quarterback. I played quarterback in yeah. uh, in high school too. Like so like that's what I did. You know, I was like the floor general. That's what I was really good at. I'm still like that's what I do today. I'm not, I'm not up there doing this or shooting Steph Curry threes, but I'm I'm in there, get making doing all like the dirty work for 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 my other friends who do all the scoring. And you named your child what? Tatum. 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 Brian I'm just asking a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah you go. You're right. You're right. You're right. But yeah. Hey, the goal as parents is for our kids to surpass us. Yeah, so, you know. <laughs> true. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Zachary, Zachary, mm. Kyle. That's you know. That's that's my firstborn. He's the one I showed you the video yep. of. He's he's gonna be better than me. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a <laughs> fact. You know. He and he loves the game. He loves the game. He watched. You know, it was late, but he would watch the yeah. games with me. Mm-hmm. You know, he was. He was there, right, right, right next to me. Like he would even ask, what, "What game's on today? Who, who, who are we watching?" He, I had the summer league on the other day, and he's just watching it. He's four years old. Um, it's just, it's cool. So your your work at Mayflower now, uh, how, what is it like for you to be to be dealing with people maybe at the beginning stages of trying to get better? You know, they're coming in. Is it? How hard is it too when you you know there are plenty of people that come in that are going to relapse that aren't ever going to make it out the way that you did like like how hard is that internally to it, it that is a reality you know it it is tough to think of like that but uh, yeah I'm in the trenches every day yeah. like I'm on the phone I'm talking with people to pretty much have them come into detox like uh, mm-hmm. the first step you know is coming into treatment and working with not only the addict or the alcoholic but also their families and educating them on what's n- what's necessary and what's really important uh, I run around to hospitals every single day I run around to like clinics methadone clinics suboxone clinics outpatient therapist offices psychiatrists that's where I go every single day I'm running around the whole New England area pretty much from New Hampshire to Mass, to Rhode Island, to me, you know, I, I run around all over the place. And, like, that's that's literally what I do is I, I'm i an advocate for Mayflower Recovery. So I work with just whatever. You know, it's that's just essentially I do marketing, but it, it's just really just outreach for in the community for mm-hmm. Mayflower. Mm-hmm. That's 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 my job. And I love it. It's my passion. So, why, you know, I, I, get, I get to help people and make a living out of it. So, so it's most, a win-win. Are most of the... People is this pharmaceutical drug problems or everything? Everything, right? No, everything. Okay. okay. Everything, alcohol, f- pills, right. right? Any, any, you know, anything you name it, we, you know, we can help them. Are there are there differences? Do you find differences in recovery times? Whether you know, depending on the severity of the drug. Um, as far as how long they need to stay in treatment, right? Yeah. 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 Oh yeah, yeah. Alcohol's the worst. Alcohol's the worst. Yeah, yeah. it's it's alcohol's the deadliest. I think you know it. Mm-hmm. it, it Opiates or like fentanyl kills you faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, alcohol kills you slower. 
that's really all it is. That's the only difference. And right. alcohol is socially acceptable, mm-hmm. but it's actually like the worst one. It's the worst, right? It is. Yeah, I mean, that's I've always kind of thought it's that. the worst on your body. Yeah. It's it's it has the worst. You can actually die from from withdrawals. You can, yeah. you can, you can die from alcohol and benzo, like uh, diazepam, like uh, prescription mm-hmm. pills. You can die from those withdrawals because you can go have a seizure and go and and you can and you can die. You know, for so opiates and all, and you know, for opiates, you kind of just have like. You're like really sick, and you're like okay. sweating, and okay. you're shaking, like yeah. you're just like really cold. Like that's what that's where the withdrawal is from an mm-hmm. opiates, and for like uh, like crack and cocaine and and meth, it's more of serious dehydration, and you need like to a lot of sleep. Mm-hmm. So that's what it is. So alcohol and benzos are the worst, mm-hmm. and you wouldn't know, you wouldn't think that. You would just assume it's opiates or or, or you know that, but it's it's alcohol, man. You know, growing up in Atlantic City, um, in my, the younger years in Atlantic City, it was heroin that was destroying the city. And uh, then the crack epidemic hit. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden, you know, it, you know, crack, I think. Mid to late 80s, yeah. Yeah, mid yeah. to late 80s. And now, you know, you're watching in functional crack addicts. <laughs> you know? I mean, like, yeah. so no, right? You're like, really? This part, yeah, I mean, it's there crazy. Were, there were guys that were so much better than me playing basketball. So there were so, so much better players, but they got caught Hooked. up on them drugs. Yeah, and it was impossible for them to get over. Yeah, it's just it was nuts, man. I'm just now I'm going back to my childhood. Thinking yeah, do do you ever sit back and think about the the just the the, the depth of, the depths of darkness that you were living in, and where you are now, where you've got a house two kids, wife, good relationship with your mom and think like any little you might have turned le- you turned left instead of right during that period of a, of addiction and darkness and you might not be here or might not be living the life. Yeah, even in early in recovery I was tested. I I went to the sober house that I went to was in Chelsea. Yeah. So I don't know yeah. if you yeah. guys know, know Chelsea, Chelsea Mass, you know, Be- Bellingham Square, man, yeah. like there's it's not a nice yeah. area okay. at all. It's one of the highest, actually, like uh, yeah. gang and and violence and drug addiction, uh, like in, in in the state. And this you know, is what what's what square? Chelsea, Mass, Bellingham Square. Bellingham Square. Okay. Yeah, I got. You can get clean anywhere. It's just your willingness. Because I got clean in Bellingham Square, Chelsea, Massachusetts. You can literally get clean anywhere. It does not matter. It's really up to the person. It doesn't matter if you go to a five-star place in, in Malibu or if you go to, mm-hmm. you know, one of the state-run places here in, in Boston. It does not matter. It's whether or not you really, truly want it. And you might not right away because I didn't. I, I can't even I can't even say I didn't have, like, guns blazing for recovery when I first came around. It was kind of just other people helped me along the way, and then eventually I wanted it instead of needed right. it. Because I needed recovery because I was going to die, but eventually over time I wanted it. And I yeah. loved it, and that like this is this is what I do, you know, and that mm-hmm. I that I go that I participate in Narcotics Anonymous meetings because you can go to meetings, but then there's participating in meetings, you know, like I said about like existing yes. in life and living life. There's a difference between you you guys you could walk into a meeting and just sit in the chair and go like this and just on your phone or just sit there and not not talk or not listen. Or there's a difference between participating in the meeting, being wherever, sitting up front, talking, sharing, listening, like helping, like getting help. Like there's a difference there. You know what I mean? So that's that's the things that I realized. 
Um, in ball, we call that player or pretender. Yeah, 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 yeah. Seriously, you yeah. know, it's it's it. Like I, you, that's that's really what it is. And then um, I don't know. I just it's just a way of life for me now. It's just a part of my life. It's not my whole life. Recovery is not my whole life. NA is not my whole life, but it's a part of my life. Mm-hmm. It's in my it's in my routine. It's in my schedule because it's given me a beautiful life that I have today. Well, Greg, we really appreciate you coming in to share your story with us today. This is uh, awesome. When, I'm, when am I coming back? Uh, yeah. Anytime. <laughs> anytime. <laughs> anytime. No, always welcome. Yeah, man. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thank you. I do. My man. Yeah. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.